as the Exiting Your Echo Chamber podcast, where we learn how to be in the world, but not of the world. We also try to understand how we can navigate the various worldviews that are available, so that you would give the reason for the faith that we have. Okay, so we thank God for um, taking us through this. I'm about we've done about six episodes and. Yeah, that's this will be our final episode, and God has been good to us. I mean, giving us thought to share and helping us clarify things that we ourselves didn't even understand. And that's point that's already clear. Um, Father, we thank you for giving us today, and even as we are about to have our conversation to sum up what you laid on our heart to do, we're asking that more grace will abound, and we'll look at what you would have for us in the future. Amen. 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 So today, I as I shared the. The, the 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 theme for let's say this episode is staying or living engaged into brackets the irrefutable apologetic now to just break it down a little so we are just going to look at you know um this whole thing about exiting our coaching but i realized that is not um uh should i say a destination you know like yeah it's not a destination but it's actually a process right so it's not as if you um you exit and then you are like you are done. You get to a point that you you think you are done. It's it's an ongoing process, right? Then we are just going to look at how we can position ourselves to make our claim very strong, uh, make our claim very irrefutable, if uh, as I've put it. Yeah. So um, well, let's just start off um, by looking at um some of the things that would um maybe any thought that would come to mind. Anyone can just take it. As we keep engaging our coaching, but some of the things that you think are likely to kind of discredits us and pushes back into our echo chamber. I don't know if that is clear. Because, I mean, we might start going about it and something could happen that even though you put forth some of the best arguments, some of the best um, points can never be made. But at the end of the day, someone can just look at something and just discredit all that you've been saying. And it becomes pointless because, I mean, you are probably speaking about one thing and you are living otherwise. Yeah, so I don't know. This is just one way of looking at it. I don't know if anyone can, any takers can just uh, get it started. And if it's not clear, I can, I think, try and clarify a little more. Okay, so we are looking at how to put ourselves in this permanent state of engaging the uh, the world views around us. How are we able to put ourselves in that state that we can keep engaging all the world views around us? And keep engaging uh, ideas that are brought up against us, and being in that constant place of knowing that you've actually exited your echo chamber, and you you are not um you are at let's say I don't I don't want to call this the final point, but you realize that you come to a place where you are at peace, um you are freely able to engage others without feeling threatened by external um ideas or supposedly strange ideas that could come up at you i don't know if it's clear now how how do we put ourselves how do we get to that point in uh um in this journey that we started i don't know if it's clear now uh, yeah okay let me let me uh, let me see if i can answer it that's how i understand it so um, i think what you're asking is how do you get to what do you do to get make sure that you get to a point where you're a bit more confident in um their your claims or what you believe right yeah yeah exactly that's something like that along those lines okay Okay, okay. I think that for me, what immediately comes to mind is actually being honest with yourself um, about what you believe and what you know about what you believe. I say this because, I mean, 
sometimes when 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 you are in um an coaching or when you're in a group and then maybe the group believes one thing and if you don't fully understand everything just yet right but uh, because you don't understand uh, everything fully just yet you can maybe you can go along with what the group is saying that oh, we believe this and this and this and this and that but if you were asked to defend those claims you may not you know be able to um defend them very well. And so you just have to, you know, be honest with yourself and know where you are at every stage, right? Know that this is the point I am. I can defend up to this point. I cannot really defend up to this point. And you know, when you're trying to engage somebody else, you have to always make sure that you are honest in that regard as well. Knowing that if if the person questions you about something that you cannot defend, just you know be honest that oh you cannot defend it and that should even push you more to actually, you know, um, research and then know more. Because if you don't do that and then you cannot really defend um, the position that you have, but you try to say things, you know, in a in a bit to, you know, uh, usually when things get when it gets argumentative, just try to say things to make sure that you are you are making sure to defend it. But you know, you know within yourself that you don't have a full grasp of the whole thing. You come off as very very, you know, dishonest and maybe hypocritical to the person that you are talking to, because clearly. From what you are saying, it shows that you don't have a mastery over the, the, the claims or the statements that you are making. So I believe that at every point in time, we need to be very honest with ourselves to know how we can defend and how we cannot defend it. Um, once we are honest with ourselves on that uh, point, then we can actually build on that to, you know, um, how do I say, strengthen ourselves on the path that we cannot really defend so that we continue in that process where we can become a bit more confident in how we believe in, you know, step by step. So yeah, I, I believe that you just have to be honest with your, yourself at every point in time to what you can truly defend and what you cannot, what you understand fully and what you do not understand fully to help you uh, become more confident, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, thanks for Kampa. I think I'll be in some, it's clear now, so anyone who is really can. Um, okay, if I understand what we're discussing, it means we are trying to look at ways in which we can um, continue to engage the world outside our echo chamber. Um, how we can continue to, I mean, engage the world outside our echo chamber without feeling, I don't know, without, I just want to be sure that I'm getting the question right, without recoiling or feeling that we are overwhelmed by the external world. I don't know if that's that's where we are, that's what we are looking at. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's where we are starting off from. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. All right. I think that, um, I mean, coming out of your echo chamber and engaging the, I mean, diverse claims and other ideologies in itself, I don't know, is a great opportunity to build up on your own faith. Of course, as I think Krampa said, it means Krampa said that you have to be honest with yourself because coming out is good. It means that now you're not just swallowing everything that you, you know, but then you're allowing others to question your faith. You are asking yourself questions. You are seeking to understand it better and not just know it, but then you are getting grounded in the things that you have previously known. You are now knowing why you do what you do. But then there comes a time when someone poses a question or someone will ask you something and you're like, okay, you begin to question what you have known and what you have believed so far. And I think that shouldn't cause you to recoil and then decide to hide yourself. I think the scientists of old, whenever they encountered anything new, anything strange, that questioned the existing body of knowledge that they had. What they did was to dig deeper, search more, find out, okay, so what, 
really is this thing about and why is this different from what we thought should be the norm? So I think we should also take that attitude where we, we choose to now dig deeper into, um, if, of course, for Christians, then you are digging deeper into your Bible, you are asking more questions to know why that thing is confronting what you have always believed and finding answers to difficult things. So it's about accepting that you don't know everything, accepting that um, you don't have an answer to everything that may challenge your faith or every question that may come from other people. You, it's okay to say that, okay, I'll get back to you. It's okay to ask more. And instead of causing you to recall, it should push you rather to decide that, okay, let me dig deeper. Let me find out more. Thank you. Okay. For me, since the two of them have stolen my points, I would have to come up with another one. So I'll say um, you must content to um, experience what you are sharing with other people. Because for how long would you keep saying that God is good when you yourself don't experience the goodness of God? For how long will you keep saying God is merciful when you don't seek to experience the message of God? So in Jeremiah, he says, you would seek me and you would find me only after you have sought me with your whole heart. So it's not, we should not end at the point of just knowing, but we should yearn to go the extra mile where we experience what we know, where we become one with what we know. John said that, that which we have heard from the beginning, the, the word of truth, that which we have handled, that which we have looked upon. So we yearn to have a, a, a more personal interaction with whatever truth that God has taught you. And even as you, it will increase your appetite to always want to know more. It would increase your appetite to always remain humble because you realize that you, you don't know as you ought to know. And I think that's that's one thing that I think should help us. Yearn to experience the truth in God's word. Yearn to experience and accept the comfort of scripture. And I think you'll be good to go. Yeah, that's for me. Yeah, some has actually um, um, introduced um, how, the, how the direction uh, I wanted us to go with this. So, I mean, it's, so from our conversations and all that, we realize that, so we realize that it, it could be very possible for us to be separated from our the ideas or the truth that we hold. It's one thing, um, it's one thing, what do you call it, um, sharing a message, right? It's one thing sharing a message. And there's an, one thing, you practicing the message, right? So that's this, this how I want us to look at it. So, I mean, some has actually made some introductory um, points and all that. So given a particular, I mean, at the end of the day, it seems to me that our general goal is um, you coming from one echo chamber, right? And understanding some ground truth, uh, some basic stuff from your end and understanding that outside of yours, there are other things. So how do we um, move away from merely speaking um, sharing truth, merely discussing with people and embodying our message. So that, that is how I want us to look at it. How do we become our message? Because at the end of the day, it's it's you're not just sharing something, right? Well, I wouldn't take you seriously. So a certain degree, I wouldn't take you seriously if you're able to share all the good things, you're able to debate and you're able to refute all my arguments and that's fine. But whatever thing you espouse, you are not able to live it out. So how do we, how would we be able to achieve that? Yeah, any takers can go. Okay, for me, I would I would say that um, yearn to or strengthen your personal time with God. Um, there's one thing about David when you read the Psalms, you would see how honest and how plain David was in in his prayer life. So in our place of prayer or in our private encounters with God, we should yearn to um experience. We should tell God 
that we really want to get to know him. And the Bible says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Bible again says that open your mouth wide and I would fill it. Desire is a language in the spirit. I always say that desire is the basic form of communication, even in animals. So how would an animal know that it is old enough to go and meet with another animal? It begins to have desires. So desire is a way that we are able to attract encounters. And when I mean encounters, I'm not talking about mysticism per se, but you are able to sense and feel the presence of God. You are able to know when God is speaking to you. I always remember the um, the very first time um, God, I, I could feel that a scripture came alive to me. You see, when you have those type of experiences, it crystallizes your conviction about the scripture. And I've shared this um, plenty pieces where um, Romans, I think 5 verse 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. I always remember when I went to visit my auntie and um, her children's school report came and they didn't perform so well to my auntie's liking. And they started asking my auntie, mommy, I want ice cream, mommy, I want this, mommy, my this thing. My auntie made a statement that when you start to do well in school, I will buy you the ice cream or the bicycle or whatever. As she made that statement, I could just sense God telling me that I didn't wait for you to do well in school before I bought you ice cream. So these experiences I had, they made the scripture alive to me. And it starts from somewhere. It's like if you meet someone for the first time, if you meet a lady, you are interested in knowing. I don't think when you start saying hi, hello, then she'll begin to tell you all about herself. No. Initially, she will just tell you surface information. But as you keep contending to know her more or to know him more, then both of you begin to open up to each other. From then, you can even begin to sell the person's mood. That's how come... Even sometimes when you are WhatsApping with your beloved, just the way the person will write, because you are knowing the person or you know the person to some extent, you can sense if the person is happy or hungry. So then your 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 knowledge about the person is goes beyond just what the person says. But now you you get to that level where you can even predict and even act in in the stead of the person with confidence. So I think that you must contend to know God more especially in your private life, especially in the, in the moments of personal retreats where you, you are alone with God. And God would, um, the hymn says that, confirm our heart desires. I, I've forgotten. <laughs> but yeah, there's a line like that. Jesus confirms. I've forgotten the words. But God confirm is seeking to confirm your heart desires. Jesus confirms yes, to work and speak a thing for thee. Yes, for you. So yes, if immediately God notices your genuine desire, he would confirm it in your life. So that's one way I think that we can experience whatever truth that there is in God's word. Thank you. Uh, It's rather unfortunate that um, I'm not sure I can wholly relate to some of the um, points I made, but I mean, that's sad, but I mean, remove uh, (laughs) Kampa, can you come in? (laughs) Yeah, Charlie. Someone's dropping some keys be in the in the in the submission, but unfortunately, I can't relate to some of them as well. But maybe I'll listen and maybe to come in handy later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, Hort also says that definitely, for instance, the the, the use of the, the gospel, right? When you go and preach the gospel to somebody. That you're not just trying to get the person to know that, oh, okay, Jesus came to die for the person's sins, and 
he was raised from the dead and he's coming back and all of that. But you're trying to get the person to believe, right? And then, you know, come to accept that information as truth and then um, accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And then have the experience of that salvation in his or her life. So, I mean, the, in the first place, that's the use of the gospel. You know, there's no use going to preach. And then um, the person I have preaching to is not able to, you know, experience um, what you're saying. I think the reason I'm making this claim is that it just this week I was in church and then when someone raised a question about, uh, for instance, if some people go out to preach or she was like, she when she goes out to preach and she's, you know, preaches things from the Bible and she's making some things and she feels like, this thing that she's saying, it's like she, 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 she doesn't even have experience of some of them. She doesn't even, she's not experiencing some of the things. So how is she being able to tell somebody boldly about, you know, some of these things? And I just want to use this example, right? For instance, maybe a lot of people would say that, oh, you know, Jesus is a healer. Like, you know, he can heal your disease. Like, if you are going to preach people, like, oh, it's like Jesus is a healer and all of that. But the person saying it is probably battling some very serious health conditions, you know, themselves. But of course, that doesn't mean that it's not true that Jesus is a healer. So I think that when you, when, when you find yourself in such a situation, like how do you become the message? You always have to find out, like, first of all, you ask yourself, am I experiencing the things that I believe, right? Or the things that I claim to believe, am I experiencing it? Then if the answer is no, it's only wisdom for you to go on a search to find out why or what you are missing or what's the missing link or what is preventing you from experiencing the things you say. Because if you, are, if you believe one thing and then your experience is completely different from what you believe or what you say you believe, then I, I don't really see the point. I, I feel like it's an absolute waste of time to believe one thing and then not have you know, the experience of the things that you say you believe. And so it's always, it's always really, really important. And I think that I would very much agree with uh, some here that you know, the place of personal devotion and, you know, uh, cultivating a personal relationship with the Lord it comes in, you know, um, it's very, very important in such a scenario. Um, I think it's one of the most evaluable things that we have as you know, Christians. We like just, you know, brought to us that we can have access to God ourselves. And some of um, strengthening that part of our life can help us to experience a lot of the things, a lot of the scriptures, lot of the things that we say we believe, you know, in ways that, you know, uh, we had never imagined. And so we shouldn't see some, you know, personal devotion, like, you know, sometimes I remember when we were younger, like, we only used to do quiet time because you know that probably when you go to church or when you go, you go someone will ask you that, oh, did you do your quiet time there? You, you, you want to be able to have something to share with the person in order not to be found wanting. So you do fulfill all righteousness in that regard. Later, I realized that it was, you no, know, there's no need for you to do that because having that quiet time or having that personal devotion has more value than just being able to, you know, rattle it out someone who just asks you, oh, have you done it? It has a lot more value in your um, growth as a Christian and, you know, in your experience of um, of Christianity itself, because yeah, it goes beyond. It's not just mere knowledge, but you know, um, it's about you know experiencing um, the, the the coming to the experience of the knowledge. You know, let, let me just 
go a bit further here. For instance, like um, when you take the Greek, like for instance, in English, when we when we when we say knowledge, we only have one word, you know, just knowledge. Or even let me just not even go in that direction. For instance, when I say that, oh, maybe I know Okran, I know him to uh, a certain degree because I went to school with him, so I know some things about him. But then the way I know him, it's not the way his brother or his mother or someone in his family will know him. They would know him in a, uh, in a in a better way than I know him. For instance, we can all say that, oh, maybe we know President Ekupado because we, we know about him. We, we, we see him on TV. You know, we know some facts about him and all of that. But we don't know the food he likes. We don't know the, 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 his favorite color. You know, we don't know a lot of things about him. It's only his wife and people are very close to have that kind of information. And so, definitely, knowledge is always in um, degree. And so, as we, you know, seek to know more or know God more, there's a part that, you know, experiencing him, just uh, beyond mere um, head knowledge, but, you know, having the experience of God himself also comes in. And I think that that is definitely where we should, where we should all, you know, um, strives to be at to you know have to experience God inside. And I think that when you come to that stage, it's sort of that kind of personal experience of God Himself who in a way I don't say validate, but maybe corroborate what you know in your head. It gives like it, it makes you more confident when you are actually even sharing with somebody because you have experienced what you are sharing. And so yeah, yeah that's what I'll say. Yeah, that's that's a very uh, powerful one. Albert, can you come in for us? All right. Um, thank you. Um, I've heard from some and comp. I think interesting takes. Um, so ex- I mean, experientially coming out of your echo chamber and what the place that you experience of what you believe has. And I think that I've already shared in one of our earlier discussions how I had to deal with a certain question. So that was me engaging the external world and how I learned something that seemed to confront my faith. And for me, what helped me through that situation was my experience, what I had experienced with God, how I had experienced God. So I think, as Sam said, sometimes it's really about getting to know God better and having that personal relationship with him. Because, for example, I know that God is love. And I have experienced it. It's going to be difficult for anybody with any other um, ideas to tell me that God is not love. It doesn't matter how well the person is able to articulate. It doesn't matter how well the person is even able to disprove the statements in the Bible that God is love from wherever, whatever. I have experienced it. I know it. And it's not about what you are saying. So now that pushes me to find out, okay, so how come this person is able to sort of disprove my claim? then I should there should be something that answers the question because my experience is different. And so when we draw closer to God, we get to know him better through his word and through our personal relationship with him. It really helps us to, I mean, stay more grounded and it, it makes it easier when we encounter different ideas which seem to shock us or surprise us. It doesn't cause us to recoil or run away and say that, okay, this thing is enough. I'm not going to go out there to talk to other people or I'm not going to seek to know more. I'm just going to stay in my echo chamber and be safe. But it rather pushes you to, okay, let me find out more. 
what what does the bible say about this experience that i have had and secondly i think that the bible calls us first to be witnesses when you go out there to share the faith fine i mean the romans road to salvation let's say you start with all have sinned falling short blah blah, blah. i mean you know the litany you know what to say and all that but at the end of the day, sometimes what really convinces the people or what makes someone take that step that, okay, I think I really agree with you. It's not all the nice things that you say, but when you're able to tell them experientially, okay, I, I came to Christ and some of these things are the things that I have seen. It helps certain people, especially people who are on the very edge of crossing over to know that, okay, this thing is real. It's not just something that someone is saying. It's really real and it's happened in someone's life. Let's look at um, the woman at the well. She just went to her town and said, come and hear, come and see a man who has told me all that I ever did. So the experience bit is very important. And in as much as we are desiring to know more, desiring to um, challenge ourselves, learn more about our faith, and then learn how to engage other people, we should seek to know the, the person behind our faith and experience our faith personally that way one we ourselves we are safe because even if we encounter different things it doesn't cause us to lose our own faith and then also when we speak to people we don't sound like people who are sharing vain ideas it's like some philosophers sitting and talking but then the people feel that okay this thing is real because the person has experienced it yeah thank you very much yeah, so um, speaking of, I think um, for those who might be familiar with um, some of the stuff Rabbi Zakarias shares, there's a point, I mean, in critiquing or assessing worldviews where he mentions, um, he talks about experientially relevant. At the end of the day, anyone can hold any idea. I mean, you can hold any, um, is it axiom, any ideology, like, I'm mean, even, even beyond the, the religious or let's say Christian context. So, because for our discussion, we are, even I mean, as far even though we are within the Christian context, but I believe some of these I uh, these um, post uh, posture of mind that would help in our daily lives as well. So if all that I share and uh, it's it's no one is able to, I'm not one. I myself I'm not able to experience it. Then I don't know whether you are lying to yourself. Like I mean, there's a point where you feel that you are lying to yourself. So you you dig a little deeper, but there's this. I think we have about three ways that we can go from here. So the first thing we are, we are going to look at, I mean, we want to stay engaged, right? And how do we look and navigate the place? How, how do we find the perfect balance between, I know some things, I've not grasped it experientially, right? But I believe, right? And even though I'm saying them, but I've not really had a firm grasp on it experientially. So does it mean that why kind of wait till I, I believe they are true, right? Because of maybe some past instances, I could just um, should I just extrapolate that if this has happened in times past, given this person that this other thing is true. But if the particular thing I'm talking about, I've not experienced, how, how do you find the perfect balance between um, so that we don't end up only sharing things that we are able to actively do or the, the thing that we believe that uh, only we've been able to experience alone? I don't know if it's clear. How do we find that balance? Oh, I, I think that, um, yes, looking at the story of Abraham, Abraham was praying for Abimelech to have children. When he himself was contending with God over a child, just one, he wanted just one. But one of the blessings after, you know, the issue with Abimelech and his wife, Sarah, one of the things that um, 
God took away from Abimelech was this um, that nobody was giving birth. So it, it all happens in our Christian life. There are, <laughs> I always give this example that there are many, not many, but there are people that are um, praying for if you say, or oh, I have been there for, and they have had opportunities to travel outside the country when maybe I also wanted such an opportunity, but I, I didn't get the opportunity. So it's, it's all part of our work. Sometimes I think that God deliberately puts us through such situations for us to know that it is not of ourselves. We are just being used by God. So the fact that maybe it was you prayed for the, it may not even be your prayer that <laughs> took the person there or got the person something. It may just happen that <laughs> God was already going to give it to the person and the person just happened to pass by your prayer room. But it happens. So me personally, I always say, I think I heard somebody say this, that preach faith till you have faith. So in preaching, you are also building up yourself for that thing because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that hearing can also come from your mouth. So I mostly, especially if you have had the opportunity to pray for somebody who is sick before, maybe in administration, mostly at the beginning, you won't really feel confident and you should not feel confident because the excellency of their power is not of yourself, but of God. So sometimes that happens so that you take the focus off yourself and it will be on God. So yes, we are called to be witnesses, but you yourself, it's a, it's an everyday process that you are experiencing. That is why Jesus said, um, I think the madman of Gadara also, he said, go and tell them what you have experienced. Go and share your testimony. So you always start with what you have experienced, but that should not limit you. So it's like God is teasing you. He gives you one so that you be confident enough to say, God can do two, three, four, five, because it's the same document that gives us our confidence. So if I know that God is, if the Bible told me that God is a message and I've experienced the message of God, if the Bible says that God is a healer, I should be bold enough to say that God is a healer, even though I may not have actively experienced the healing power of God. So I think it's, it's, it's not far, but then that is why it should also create a new hunger to experience as much of God as possible. So I, I, that, yeah. that, that's it for me. Okay, um, I, think, I think I want to just... Oh, okay. No problem. Just no, um, no, no, let I, me say a follow-up sure. to what Sam said. I Just adding up, very often when I go out to speak to people, um, I have people asking me, okay, so this Jesus is coming thing. How do you know that it's true, that Jesus will really come? Because, you know, now we have a lot of ideas that, I mean, it's a lie and nobody's coming anywhere all that but then i think one of the ways that usually i address it is that okay it's fine i, I mean the future hasn't come so we we haven't seen it yet but if the same bible could predict certain things about the end time for example and that even the coming of jesus and his birth was predicted before he came very accurately and we had scriptures that say that there'll be famine there'll be wars there'll be earthquakes there'll be diseases and all that and we we seem to be seeing them certain things that were predicted we are seeing and i mean if it's the same book that said these things before and they have happened as the book said it then i can expect that the future that has been predicted would come as the book has said it so for me i think just building up to what some said that you may not always experience everything but then if the same Bible that said A is to be believed, then we, we can believe the B that it is saying. And sometimes, personally, you may not have experienced it, but others have. And you can share such examples that others may have experienced, which are authentic, of course. Thank you. 
Yeah, so I just wanted to make the point. I mean, preach faith till you have it. I think it was John Wesley's experience. I think um, they, they were traveling from where, from one place to another. And is it the Moravians when he does a shipwreck? And this guy, these guys were like at peace and all that. But John Wesley, I mean, was well, he was just not feeling too good, right? So like then he yearned to really understand how the I mean, they, they got to that point. So that was when I think, is it Pitabola? Maybe I've been missing names over here, but someone encouraged him to preach faith till he has it. So I hope I'm not missing them. But I think it was John Wesley. It was John Wesley's experience. Yeah. Kompa, you can come in if you're yeah. encouraging. I remember now it was, it was John Wesley. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. That's powerful. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think that um, another thing, what I would add to this is that Definitely, there's a. I don't know how how to say this, but there's a group, you know, maybe of there's some believers who also place so much emphasis on experience. Like for them, everything is you know about the experiences that they had, personal experiences that they've had, you know, all of that. In as much as experiences are you know good, they are powerful and they are a blessing when you share them. When you tend to you know place too much emphasis on that one, also it, it creates a problem. And then. You always know that you know at the end of the day the, the scriptures are the foundation for even for whatever experience that you have you know it should be based on the scriptures and also i mean the fact that you, you you're experiencing something doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true but it merely means that there's something that you are missing which or there's a reason for which you are not you know having the experience of um the truth or, or what you believe or what you say you believe and so definitely you can go ahead and share everything you know as the scriptures because once the Bible says, once the Bible says it, then that's the truth. You know, the Bible, the scriptures are inerrant, and that's you know the foundation for everything that we believe in. And so once the scriptures say it, then it is true. You have to you can be bold and then share it and then say it as if you know you're experiencing it yourself because the Bible, you know, is saying it. But at the end of the day, experience experiencing what you are saying will actually give life to your message. Uh, you speak from a place of you know boldness and conviction. Um that somebody who is probably not experiencing those things may not be able to uh, share in the same light. And so I, I think that um, definitely it, it should not be that you can only share or, you know, um, preach on or the things that you have fully experienced. But, but once it's in the scripture, once the Bible says it, then you, you should definitely be bold about it, be able to share it. But then also make sure that we are, um, even as you are sharing it, you are, you, are, you are desiring or you are seeking to experience it because once you experience it, it will give a certain kind of um, life or boldness or conviction to you when you are sharing that message. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's a very great one. So um, there's let me just take a um. So the um, there's this American rapper um Lil Wayne. So there's this general issue related to I mean in 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 the US. I mean as far as we hear in the news, was what the reality on the ground could relatively be. But in the news, what we hear there's this thing about police and I mean and the blacks and I mean the black Americans and their bad experiences with the cops, right? I mean, this is something that a lot of people probably kind of talk about. But Lewin says that when he was a kid, um, there's an issue surrounding his, he almost died, right? But it was a cop, I think he called him Uncle Bob, that came in to rescue him, right? So, and um, I mean, so we, we speak, would speak negatively about all the cops and all that, but we are talking about the experience over yeah. here. And, and the cop was white, right? I think I've seen that. Yeah, the cop, yeah the, the, cop, the cop was white. Yeah, the, the cop was white, yeah. So there was a cop, a white police called Uncle Bob who saved his life. But let's say the one, all other black Americans, let's say 
let a many black Americans um, speak of a different experience, right? So now, um, how do we even navigate some of these things? Like, you realize that in past episodes where I think where, where we try to bring up the whole idea of my truth and your truth, stuff like that, right? I mean, from this, you realize that we could get to a point where because I have not fully grasped a particular thing, it, it becomes, a, it takes us back to the issue of, I mean, um, it's, it's as if it's your experience alone and it's yours is different from mine and like I mean, we still go between that tension and we still go we have that back and forth so like what I want us to maybe share our thoughts on this now given that I know that I believe so strongly about my stance over here right but because I've not been fully able to grasp it maybe when I kind of share it in the public arena or when i try to engage other competing ideas some way somewhere they come out a little stronger because i speak about it but i've not experienced how do we we are not talking about here how, how you said but how do we um handle maybe the radicaling that would come from them i don't know if it's clear because i mean because you've not experienced there could be some form of radicaling and people might not take you seriously and stuff like that so how do we handle these some of these things but it's able to weigh us down um whether it's about sharing the scripture i mean yeah i if you are ready you can just think how do we handle this potential ridiculous that would come from people who i mean you are not there yet in the experience level of being able to tangibly demonstrate even though you know it's true but then yeah stuff like that how do we navigate yeah okay sure sure so i think that as i said earlier in my earlier submission I think that the very first foundation or what you need to, you know, come to, uh, or what you need to conclude on is that the scriptures are true. And so there's a scripture that even says that, let God be true and let all men be, you know, uh, liars. And so if you come to a point where, you know, the scriptures are saying one thing, but other people are saying that a different thing, then definitely you can bank your uh, hope and everything on the scriptures. And so I think that that's the first thing that you need to, um settle in your in your spirit and you know like you have to push it deep down in your heart for you to know that the scriptures are true and that's absolutely there's no negotiation on that one so i think that once you can settle that one then definitely we are all going and we are all at certain stages and i think that these experiences would happen one way or the other you may you may go and share something and you know but it, it happens in this way that you might have even heard someone say it and you know it sounded so good and you may not have researched and just you know gone into it but because maybe you trusted the person that shared it you also go ahead and you also share it and share it and someone come up like oh no this is not really this and the person actually dismantle everything like oh okay then because you didn't you know when do your research into it for you to know it for yourself when the person was assessing obje- objection you couldn't, you know, really defend it. So at that point, you just have to realize that, oh, okay, truthfully, you don't know too much about it. You've not, you know, done a lot of research about this, or you don't have, you know, the experience of this thing per se. But um, at the end of the day, you believe it to be true because, you know, the Bible says so, or the scriptures teach it that way. And so you just have to, um, it will happen. But you don't have to, um, how do I say, it shouldn't be something that would break you completely or say that, okay, because of that, you are giving up on the whole belief system. No, such, such, such a thing should only just push you to, you know, study more, you know, to go deeper in, in, in into what you believe. And I think that that would be the right response. And 
and I think that these things will definitely happen one way or one way or the other. And you know, the funny thing is that no matter how much you even know or experience or have researched, no matter how much information that you have on a certain topic, there's going to be somebody, somebody who I, I don't know what is wrong with them, but somebody who just find a way to try and you know ridicule you know uh, your, your points or your belief system. Just I don't know for whatever reason that they have. There's always going to be somebody who's going to try and do that. No matter how much, how well armed you are, there's going to be somebody who's going to do that. And so, yeah, you definitely just realize that people have this kind of agenda, trying to ridicule, you know, uh, Christianity or ridicule your faith, and then, you know, just make fun of it and all of that. Sometimes you just have to ignore some of these people um, and just, you know, focus on the, the bigger picture. And But on the other hand as well, when sometimes some of these things happen, it should also just push you to um, develop yourself or know more about what you are saying so that you can be in a better position to defend it next time. Yeah, all right, so how about, yeah. Awesome, Miss Radio, awesome. Yeah, I'm ready. So, yeah, just to take off from Crumpet's point, I agree that, you see, the radical is an arsenal of the devil. So even things you have experienced, look at the man who was um, blind and could see, I think in John chapter 9, and the Pharisees were like, tell us what happened. He said, ah, I've already told you what happened. I know, I think he was, yeah, he was blind. Either he was blind or he was crippled. He says that, I think he was blind. I think he was blind. He says that a man came to me and says, you can see. That's all I know. Then they were like, nah, let's go and call the guy's parents. And when the guy's parents came, the Bible said, because they were afraid of the Pharisees, they said, Charlie, the guy is grown, who asks him, we don't know what's happening. And at that point, you could feel the, the frustration the blind man was going through. Because the leader came again and said, Ah, thank God. We know that this man is not of God because God does not listen to sinners. And the man repeated himself. He said, Ask whether he's a sinner or he's not a sinner. Now and then, I don't care. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. To the extent that Jesus had to meet him privately and he told him that, Do you believe something about them? Like, um, about something about the Messiah? He said, Yes, I believe. Then Jesus said that, okay, go and sin no more. So even a man who experienced the healing power of Jesus, you could see the frustration and the and the attack the Pharisees and the scribes were, were, were launching on him. Sometimes maybe you experience God's deliverance. People would want you to rationalize it. Oh, are you saying that you were the only one in the car? Blah, blah, blah. It was just by coincidence. But you must, that's so you must appreciate the fact that ridicule is an attack of the enemy. So it means that those who do not sit in the seat of the scoffers. So it's 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 you should not lose sight of that fact. That's why many people don't even want to live for God because of how people will laugh at them or how people will make their faith look rubbish. So in as much as sometimes you may share something that you may not have really personally experienced, even the things you have experienced, car, then it won't stop the devil from sending missiles of ridicule your way. And in the book, I think, Final Quest, one of the banners also, or one of the names of the um, army of the devil was ridicule. So as believers, and you see the same thing in the Himaya story, Tobias and Sambala, they were laughing at them that even if a fox should jump over this wall you will build it, it will follow. And the same thing happened to Jesus um, on the way to Gogota. They tied him and they spat on him. They said, if you are a prophet, tell us who slapped you. Are you telling me that Jesus was not a prophet? So I, I really believe that as Christians, we should not be ignorant 
of this device of the enemy called Redeco, and we should arm ourselves with it. And we should we should we should be quick enough to sense such attacks and flee from the environment that will seek to ridicule your faith because it can really make you look stupid. But then you know whom you have believed, and you should be persuaded beyond all doubt that about who you have believed. Yeah. Yeah, but it's very powerful. I've never thought about ridicule as an arsenal of the devil, but yeah, it's very powerful. Hmm. I think I'm not really following very well. Can we take the question again um, so that I can Yeah, respond? so saying that, I mean, we're looking at the fact that if you, you proclaim something you've not experienced it before, you could face potential ridicule from um, people, right? So how do we even handle this ridicule? Because, yeah, you are saying one thing, but your life is demonstrating another. Your echo chamber, your worldview says one thing, but and Koyi, like it's you are not really seeing top, and others are ridiculing you. How do you contend here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you okay, process yeah. it here? Yeah. Now it's gotten to the point where others are questioning you. If what you say is so true, why why are we seeing this? I think for starters, we have to admit that sometimes you may not always have the answers, and you may not always experience the things that you say. For example, um. Let's let's take the blind man that Jesus healed. His disciples asked him, this thing that, I mean, this blindness, was it himself, his own sin, his parents' sin? And Jesus said no, but so that the glory of God may be revealed. So it means that, not that we will not experience what the Bible says or maybe, but let's use this healing example. Maybe you wear glasses, you are short-sighted or something, you prayed about it for so long, you still are not able to see. I mean, without your glasses, you are still using the glasses, but you are preaching a Christ who heals to other people. And their question is, if your God heals, you should heal you first. And there is ridicule. Sometimes, honestly, it's nobody's wrong. And sometimes it's God himself who has decided that for now, he's sovereign. Okay, well, let me not pull the sovereignty card, that it's real. So that it's not always that we will have answers to everything and it's real. It's very true. It's not always that you may fully experience, for example, God heals. But I know that if I'm fine, I'm not healed at this moment, but others are. So let's answer to why are others healed if my God doesn't heal. So um, true, you may not be able to experience everything because we are going and that's the beauty of it that we we continue to be transformed we continue to be changed that that's what makes this whole journey exciting that today you discover something new we experience something if you you had experienced every bit of every bit of your faith then it wouldn't be a growing experience anymore so that's it wouldn't even be faith anymore so we keep growing we keep getting transformed we keep seeing new things i may not have experienced it now but others have so I can rely on that example. And you, even if you are really clean me now, okay, so if, if I'm the one you're laughing at, what about the other person? Yeah, so I think that can help you if you don't you don't have an example by yourself. Others may have, and don't let it challenge your faith. Let's, don't let it defeat your faith. Let it rather be a challenge to your faith. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, Comfort made a point that we should, just a compost some, that we should try and really identify such environment and flee. I think it's something that we should really take note of. Realize that, I mean, our past discussion, we've got to understand that there are people who are not necessarily looking for answers, right? So if you're able to identify these mockers and these comfort people, they'll just ridicule you. Because if you 
for such people, you would be always tempted to try to prove to them and all that. And one thing that I think it's we all of us should, um, Christians generally, should really take notice of the fact that if by if by the expression of your faith you are going to appear foolish and not cool, it should be something that you should be very proud of. Because more often than not, I think within the in the Christian in I forgive me for this use of words. I don't know. I'm just maybe doing a word salad, or, but they're Christian intellectual circles. It seems that people would, some Christians always want to appear cool, right? It's it's also, I think it's one danger that will fall into. If all that you've believed, right? If sharing it, if proclaiming it makes you a fool to them, it's something I should we should be proud of and we should actually um, embrace. And something like this would really keep us going because sometimes we want to really appear cool and we try to resort to some water down some of the stuff we uh, some of the things that you've come to hold dear and believe in it doesn't really order well for us and one thing that um so we might we can look at this guy up um jay wallace jay warner wallace or we can just look up code case christianity we could look at something like that so this one point he makes at the core of our faith right it's not necessarily so he, he he generally has this approach where he says um, when you are witnessing to someone right it's not necessarily about um you you don't your experience gives you some level of grounding right but it's not necessarily about you sharing your experience it is about you sharing Christ so if, at the very foundation level experience is helpful and all that but at one foundation level we can go to to us um various um, truth that are historically verifiable, especially even if you find yourself in a context where these people want to come across as um, rational. I mean, I'm just talking about that um, that space. If they want to come across as just only rational and all that, we could go through the solid biblical and um, the various sources that we have um, historically about the various um, writers within the Roman era. I think uh, what's this? This is it Josephus. Uh, Josephus has some writings um, that reflect that Christ actually came and stuff like that. So for those people, we have we actually have things that you can learn to really ground your faith in on in one sense. I mean, from what you, you might term the rational point, we can ground that, I mean, at one point. So as uh, Wallace put it, uh, of court case Christianity, that is what we are sharing. So he, in one sense, he, he I mean, there's a, there's a balance that we all need, but he, he tries to shy away from the, um, I am sharing my experience, tell me your story. Because I have this idea that experience is like a blank latest it's I think I've mentioned it over. It's the induction or the inference we make out of a specific of of, a, of an experience that really counts. And we can have the same experience and make different uh, induction from it. I think some one shared with me was mentioned that there's some you know there's this general thing that when people have a near-death near experience, it's very likely that these ones are going to come out and turn to Christ. But from what Sam shared with me, I think someone close to him had the person was not really. I mean, living a life that would please God. But then when they even had this the near-death experience, they were all anticipating that, oh, as for this one, the after happening, we are going to have this one as self-Christ. But <laughs> that never happened. Right. This is something that we should really take note of. And let me make uh, one comment and maybe we can, if you have any other things we can share on on what I just said, then we I add another point, then maybe we, we try to round up. So this is what a quote from Ravi Zacharias. He said, God has put enough into the world to make faith in him a most reasonable thing. 
but he has left enough out to make it impossible to live by sheer reason or observation alone. So I realize that, I mean, of all um, all our experience and all our conversations that we had so far, one thing that seems to cut across is acknowledging nuances and knowing that life is so complex that anyone that comes into any conversation with a black and white approach, you, you can sim- simply re- um, have simple battles because life is so nuanced, like the nuances in life are so, so, so complex, like layered complexity that anyone who who comes across as black and white is just being a, a lazy reductionist in the in the truest sense of it. All right. So if anyone has any maybe some of the stuff I've said anything to pick off from there, then we go to the next line of thinking that I want us to tell them. Yeah. Yeah, please let me just quickly add something to what you said about the uh, the experience, sharing the experience and sharing Craig. So I was listening to um, Dr. Craig, right, Leveling Craig the other time. And he was making a point about when he was um doing his PhD in Germany. And so he says that he attended a conference. There was a Christian, there was a Christian lady speaker in Germany around that time. I think around the time he was doing his PhD, she was quite popular. And so she had such a huge following and she was getting a lot of results. Like at every conference, at every meeting she spoke at, so many people came to know the Lord in those meetings. And so he tried to find out like, what was this woman doing to to get uh, such you know fantastic results, and so he had, it's like he attended one of the meetings, and later he had the opportunity to meet the woman, and the woman said that oh, well, she just shares her story, just shares her life story, and then in sharing her life story, you know, a lot of people I don't know are able to relate with it one way or the other, and then they 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 they, they just accept Christ in that way, and so he said after that experience, he was thinking to himself that there was the use of this PhD that he's trying to pursue because. All this woman that is just sharing a story and you know she's getting so much revenge for him is doing all this academic work, all this research, all this studying, you know, all for what then it's not sure that he can he will be able to achieve even half of the woman's results. And so it was like he was discussing it with somebody else, and the person told him that it is true that you know the woman is getting a, a lot of results, but then you know those people that are coming to know the Lord through the through the woman's experience cannot um say can they cannot ride on that forever. They cannot have their whole Christian experience or their whole Christian life based off that woman's experience or all that woman shared. And there's going to come a point in time where they are going to need the things that um you know Dr. He Dr. Craig was studying for, you know, in his PhD. They are going to need that um knowledge and research and all those things that he's you know he's, he's building in himself. They are going to need that that uh, those things and so definitely i think that experience you know has a part and then i think everybody should really understand uh, uh let me say like their calling that is to see where you where, you, where you've been called to and how you can best function then once you know some of these things you can really know um, how to share the experience and then you know the the knowledge aspect and uh, make it work i think yeah well, that's great anyone to make some submission on this um okay i would like to um comment on the statement you made about faith. I think you quoted Rabbi Zachariah. And I always I always like to say mine in this way that even in faith, there's always a common sense in faith. So I think in Romans 4, when Paul was doing an exegesis about how Abraham was able to believe God for a child, it says that and Abraham judged him who was faithful. Another version says that Abraham sat down and was like, ah, if this God can create the whole world, I don't think giving me a child will be a problem. So even in our faith, 
like sometimes just sit up, just think about it logically. I like what Paul said in Romans 8, that if God could freely give us Jesus Christ, how much more would he, through him, give us all things? So whenever you are going through a hard season of life, even use logic that ah, if God could kill Jesus Christ just to call you his child, do you think that it is a good job that God would withhold from you? Do you think it's a good spouse or an opportunity that God would withhold from you? So even in our faith, there's common sense in our faith. And that's what also prompted Abraham that he could give up Isaac for free. Because he does judge that, ah, if this guy gave me the son at an age where it was impossible to get a son, and now he said I should kill my son. Why not? You can give me the same son. And as I've forgotten the particular scripture, but it's that Abraham was even looking at resurrection. So Abraham was going to kill Isaac, knowing that this God can bring Isaac back to life. And even now, faith, that's a kind of common sense we should see in our faith. That if God could go this extent for you, the things we are worried about is, is taking change for him. So that's what I would like to say. Yeah, but I come in if you want to. Yeah, I think in the circumstance, I would not really add much. I think what Sam shared now is similar to something I have previously shared, I mean, today. So, yeah, nothing more to add. All right. So, um, what Sam said, so I, um, this, I think maybe, I mean, this could be a whole um, thing we could discuss some other time if we are going to do a whole new episode on what, what faith is. I mean, defining our terms and becoming clear. It's as if... For some people, the mere fact that you mentioned faith, it's as if you take all the natural laws out of it. Like, it's it's a mere fluke, and then they equate faith with magic and stuff like that. And that's a mistake we make. And I think very central to our our, our, our Christian conviction, or let's say our worldview is, like, the, some of these thoughts, no, like, no matter how I go about it, I always come to the point that it's always the, um, the, the, when we are talking about faith, is the object of faith, not um, let's say what that faith is able to produce that we critique. I don't know if I should come again. So, if in any worldview, let's say a given religious worldview, if you are, I mean, thinking about them reasoning and engaging, it's not necessarily what that faith is able to produce that we critique or we try to engage. It's we try to contend with the that, the object of that faith, right? So, in our sense, it's Jesus Christ. So, like. Um, and if you are, I mean, comparing with um, an atheistic person, it's God, yeah, I mean, still Jesus Christ, right? And so it, all that you have to settle is is God who he says he is, right? It's what has been revealed concerning Jesus Christ, really true. If we get off from there, then I think a lot of things necessarily follow. Like Sam said, I mean, someone that has been able to freely give you a son, won't he freely give you a thing? So it's, it's it's not it's it's not um, it's it's faith right but it's not um, faith that will come across as some fluke or some magic or something like that right so I want us to just think through the next thing I'm going to say and we will end up I'll read um, a particular scripture and we will share our thoughts on that particular scripture to sum it up so this next thing I want us to think about along staying engaged and the irrefutable apologetic as I put it is what do you make of the statement don't look at my life look at Jesus that we hear, I mean, especially within our Christian settings. But this, this musician, Toby, that I re- recently listened to, that is like, um, <laughs> some people, I mean, I've, I listen to Christian rap music, and you hear a lot of lines like, this is how I am. If if it were to be me, um, like I would maybe punch you, but I mean, so don't look at my life, look at Jesus. What do we make of this generally as Christians? Um, because we are going to engage people, right? And if 
if where we are going to always um, our, our we are always going to seek refuge and don't look at my life but my look at Jesus what do we make of it I think um certain strain of this has been kind of addressed but concretely this very statement what do we say about it especially we want to really stay in Jesus Christians yeah um Arab if you can take yeah, All right. Arab, yeah. It's an important point, yes, because eventually Jesus is the one who was perfect. We are all trying to, or we, we are not trying, no, we are no, no, going no, up and gradually. Let, 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 me, let me add this before you continue. Given the fact that most of us from this time forward, like no one can see Jesus. So let me make, let me add this before you add your submission. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. So um, don't look at me, look at Jesus. So let's say I engage somebody from an external faith or with a different claim and the person points out certain things which I may be doing or which may be happening in my life, which do not exactly correspond to what um, I am claiming. And I say, okay, fine. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Well, there's some validity in that statement, but I think that it shouldn't be the ultimate refuge for everything. Um, So let me build on that. Yes, we are growing and we may not really be that perfect specimen of Christ. So we are building up, we are measuring up. There are certain things that we may not have or certain extents that, for example, Jesus fasted, was it 40 days, 40, 40 days? Yeah, but maybe I can't fast that for that long, okay. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean that I'm not a Christian. It means that, okay, I'm still growing and I'm still not there yet. But then there are certain things also that we shouldn't um, always say that, okay, don't look at me, look at Jesus. So if I'm telling you that, um, which example can I give? Okay. So I'm saying that accept Jesus and live. And me, myself, I have not accepted Jesus. I mean, how do you tell me to do something that you have not done? So I should be able to validate what, uh, I mean, if it's within my means and it's something that I can do, I shouldn't be telling you that look at Jesus, don't look at me. So I'm saying that, okay, God calls us to, you know, live a life of truth and not lie. And the person asks me, okay, have you ever lied? Yes, I have. But then the que- so that maybe I'll be telling you, look at Jesus, don't look at me. But then it doesn't mean that I'm wallowing in lies and every day I lie without thought, without conscience. So I think there, sh- there should be a line drawn at that point. I Maybe now I might not be able to tell you where that line should be specifically, but Fine, to some extent, don't look at me, look at Jesus. But that shouldn't be that one refuge we run to every time when, or that excuse that we give ourselves for not trying or not deciding to go in the Lord. Just you're there, you're happy with the state that you are in. You just keep giving excuses that look at Jesus. I think we we should be able to legitimately say that we are growing, but not that, okay, that's how I am. Look at Jesus. No, it's a growth process. we should be able to say, I'm going, so look at Jesus, I'm getting there, I'm not there yet. But not that, okay, look, don't look at me or me at this stage. No, look at Jesus, no. I think there should be that line drawn. Thank you. All right, it's about drawing line, the line. Come forward, stuff. <laughs> Someone end up taking compass points. There is no, there, it's not the line, <laughs> okay? If you say the line, you make it definitely. Oh, okay, it becomes so something else. All right, yeah. sure. <laughs> okay, compass. <laughs> Let me come in then. I mean, this one, there's some ask to end. So, um, I would say that, I mean, definitely the person, why, why, is, why are you making that statement in the first place? Because if it is to escape, like, the moral accountability that, you know, 
if you carry the first as Christian, then <laughs> that, that, that's a big mistake. Because on the other hand, when, when you look at that statement, like look at Jesus, don't look at me. So you're right, because Jesus is like, you know, perfect and we are not. But then, I mean, our calling as Christians is unto the perfection of Christ, right? Ephesians 4, 13. Romans 8 29, like we have been called to conform to the image of Christ. And so, I mean, when I'm saying that, are you on the journey, you know, to be conformed to the image of Christ? Are you, are you actively pursuing that goal of Christ likeness? Is that what you are really about? If that's what you are really about, then um, I think that if, if you are really about that, then that's fine. It's good that you're appointing somebody to Jesus. But then people should also be able to see. Uh, for lack of better phrase, I, mean, I think this is almost like a cliche. I should be able to see like Jesus in you. Right? I should be able to see, you know, the virtues of Jesus in you. Even Jesus himself tells us that we should let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and you know glorify our Father who is in heaven. And so there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a part that people should be able to see us and see, you know, something about Jesus in us, something divine, something unique, something different. You know, in us, like even before this evening, I was reading the, um, I was reading Luke. We look six, I think Luke six, and I think Luke six quite uh, mirrors um, Matthew five, six, seven, the same one on the mouth. And Jesus was making you know, some statements, like, I was like, what's this guy saying? <laughs> you know, he was saying that you should love your enemies. When someone comes to borrow from you, um, you know, let the person take it, don't go about chasing your money, like, all kinds of things like how is anybody supposed to you know be able to live all these things? It's like it's almost impossible to maybe from the human you know uh, uh, point of view, right? It's almost impossible to do this thing that Jesus is saying. But that's really what he has called us to. That's the life that he has called us to. And then we say able to help us to live that life. So definitely there should be something unique about us, or something about us that should point people to Jesus, or to make people see you know Jesus in us. But even when you think about how the name Christians came about. I think in Acts, um, should mean, actually, I think Acts 11, 26, I think so, where they say the disciples were first called, you know, Christians in, in, in Antioch. You know, I, I think that the popular, what it said is that maybe they saw, they saw the, the life of the disciples and then it was like they were Christ-like. And so, you know, they, they decided to call them Christians. I don't know, I hope that is true. Uh, I, I really hope Jesus is not having trouble. I really hope that. Definitely, you could see that there was, okay, no, let, me, let me even use a different um, example. In, in Acts 4, 13, when Peter and John were brought before the, uh, I think, before the Sanhedrin, so they made a statement that um, they perceived that Peter and John were unlearned men, but they had, but when they saw, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned men, but then they had been with Jesus. So there's something about that that had changed by mere association with Jesus. That's, you know, the people could identify, they could see that, you know, there's something different about these people. And so, um, the statement, look to Jesus, don't look at me, in as much as it may seem as if it's coming from a really good place, like, very, like, very good intention, like, don't look at me, I'm not perfect, I'm, uh, I, I can feel at any time, but Jesus is perfect, you know, he, he will never fail you, and all of that. Um, it's, it shouldn't be a way to try and escape, you know, what is required of us as Christians. Because um, when, when you know, some scandals hit the church, right? You know, sometimes, even unbelievers that these, these kind of scandals or these things that will happen in the church, maybe happen in the 
a secular world, right? So how, how can you go? So in that, in that um, situation, you cannot go and tell everybody that they should, they should look at Jesus. Because, come on, you guys are preaching about this Jesus, you know, who laughs at who change you and all of that. But what is even happening in your community or group is we, it's not even happening in the secular world. How do you even try and go and tell somebody like, um, look at Jesus, don't look at me. I mean, the person is not going to take you seriously. He's going to think that you're just trying to escape, you know, some sort of moral accountability and just to look at Jesus, don't look at me. You know? So we should um, we should always realize that there's, there's a calling that we have. That calling is to be like Christ and people should be able to see that in us. Um, yeah, that's what I'll say. Okay, so, so. Yeah, I, I agree to what you have said. So it's just about the motive by which you are saying that what is making you say that? And sometimes I can understand maybe the frustration, especially as Krampa said, if a scandal hits the church, then we, like, uh, maybe you belong to a particular denomination and your head pastor also is, is in the center of a scandal. And maybe people at work are trying to frustrate you. Sometimes you may just bust out and say things like, eh, the pastor is also a man. We, we worship Jesus and focus on Jesus. So it, it all depends on the the context. That's why I like the point Grandpa made earlier on about honesty. You yourself, you know from which heart you are making the statement. Paul said that imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul was confident in saying that. But another point, I think in the same Corinthians, he said be imitators of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it's like, it depends on the scenario at hand. But the main thing is that from which heart is this statement stemming from? Is it standing from my heart of where you are compromising, or is it standing from my heart where you are being genuine that something has happened and we are all on the road? We are all in this battle. We are all, Jesus said, that narrow is the road. So we are all on the narrow gate. We are all striving to enter the kingdom. So I think it just boils down from the context you are seeing it, and most importantly, the motive or the heart behind you making the statement. So, yeah, Kampai and Abba have dealt with it. So, no long talk. Yeah, so um, one thing I want to add before I, I read the scripture I was talking about is the fact that for me, I feel I feel that um, it's even so good that the, should I say, the moral demands, the, the level of perfection needed by Jesus Christ is only going to be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Like the, 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 the moral perfection needed by, demanded by God is all, can only be fulfilled by God. I, I really love that fact. So as Christians, it, it puts us in a very good position where we raise the standard so high that it becomes obvious that we only need Jesus Christ to be able to get there, right? So partly, um, as I mean, we've said, we are in a growth process where, so as for Christians daily, we, 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 we grow up in every way into Christ. I think that's how the scripture puts it. Grow up in every way into Christ. Yeah, I think I'm quoting correctly. So that's the process that we we are going through. And eventually, the more we get closer, the world will just see it and be like, nah. So it was two experiences. Peter saw the holiness of God and immediately, I mean, when during when they, they met Jesus at the fishing harbor, let me put it that way. Jesus, I'm not, Jesus didn't mention anything about the ascent, right? But, but when they saw the holiness of God, uh, Jesus Christ or God, let's say, they automatically, Peter was like, I'm a sinner. I don't know why that followed, but I feel that there are two ways where um, you sense the holiness of God so much so that you admit that you are a sinner and you also sense the judgment of God so much so that 
you admit that you're a sinner, both, both work. And in this sense, the standard is so high for Christians, which is Christ eventually. But then we grow up in every way into Christ and we're able to become that uh, the people the world would um, look up to. So I want to read First Peter chapter 3. I'll do the, let's say, 13 to 17. Then we'll make our final comment. It's a popular scripture that is normally used in apologetics, especially for them, they, they, the focus is really to engage other competing worldviews. So this will be our, we'll make our final comment on the scripture and that would sum up our, um, our discussion for this phase of what you're doing. So I'm reading from First Peter chapter 3, verse the 13 to 17. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Let me just add 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Amen. So I want us to, I think it was clear, right? I want us to uh, make our comments on this scripture. I think we are quite familiar with it and we'll use that as rounding up um, this episode. Yeah. So this one, everyone can go. Well, let me, Sam, do you want to start for us? Because okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know this scripture from the King James. I like the King James rendering. Oh, okay, should I read the King James? Oh, let no, me... I, I know the verse. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, the verse 15 is sanctify the Lord your God in your heart and always be ready to make a difference to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you in meekness and fear or reverence. So I remember I learned the scripture, I think, in secondary school, and I think I remember the scenario that was given, and I would just like to repeat it about sanctifying the Lord your God in your heart. This is like when you go for a program. Actually, we that we go for a lot of church programs, you mostly find out that on the first row, um, different seats are put over there, mostly for the host and for the um, invited guest or the invited minister. So those seats are either different from the seats that the congregation will sit in, either because they are designed differently or they are positioned in a particular place. So immediately you enter the auditorium, nobody will tell you that those two seats on the front, those two seats here at the front row or on the stage or on the podium um, is for the host and the guest speaker. Because those seats have been sanctified, they have been set apart either by a decoration or something. So Peter is saying that the decision-making center of your life, sanctify it for God. That is God's role in your life. Yes. Set Christ or make Christ as Lord in your heart. When it comes to what would influence your decision making, that city belongs to Christ. So when it's time to make a decision, it is not social media that should go and sit on that chair. It is not your friends that should sit on the chair. It is not your educational background, your family or circumstance. It is the one you have sanctified as Lord, who is Jesus Christ. And whenever people should ask you, why did you make such decisions? You should be bold enough to say, the reason why I am waiting up until marriage, the reason why I'm not cheating at work, 
the reason why I'm doing my work with excellence, the reason why I'm living the kind of life I'm living is because of who I have set as Lord. And you're not doing this with a sense of arrogance or self-righteousness or putting a point, but you're doing this in meekness, knowing that the love of God constrained you. Thank you. Mm, all right. Kampa, um, you want to come? Okay, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I think that I'll, I'll comment on the other parts of the scripture. And, you know, I think that um, for, for me, what I see is that um, the, the message, you know, must be part of the messenger. And, you know, when you look at somebody like Jesus and you compare him to maybe all other great religious or historical figures that have showed up in the past, what starts out about Jesus is the fact that you can't find anything wrong with his life morally. There's, there's nothing wrong that you can, you know, detect about Jesus. And so, that alone gives some sort of validation to his message and to who he is beyond every other person that has showed us in history. Like you can definitely find a flaw about it, everybody else, but when it comes to Jesus, you can't find anything wrong with him, you know. And so that that is the kind of you know life that we've been you know called to. And I think that's what Peter is really trying to point out to them that look, there are, there are people out there that they are going to they are not going to like you because they are Christians. You know, I think at that time the Christians were under very severe persecution. I was encouraging that like. They should live out what they believe. And in doing that, even no matter how much they are persecuting their God, they will be able to see that there's absolutely nothing wrong, you know, with their lives. They can't find anything wrong with that. These people live so differently from how we live. You know, in this um age of uh, council culture and all of other things, you can easily be cancelled by the way you live your life. And so that, that one should be pushed us more to, you know, be careful about how we live life because it really affects how people also receive the message um some people, some people simply don't receive the message because of how they feel like like you know there's some people that when when their friends even see them going to church or their friends see them even going engaging in some sort of spiritual activity they are shocked they don't believe it and it even pushes them away from you know christianity because they say that ah, if this guy even if this guy is going to church then what is really going on at church you know that kind of thing and so these things are very, very important, and they should be taken seriously. How we live our life, how how we show for ourselves to the world, um, we shouldn't take it for granted at all. Because I don't really, that is you know one testimony uh, that we can even show to the world about how how we live our life according to how um, Jesus has commanded us to live. Yeah. Okay. Um. Just adding up because they have both said what I or I mean spoken along the lines that I wanted to speak earlier. Um, it also the scripture also makes us understand that even as we make a defense of our faith, we should do so with meekness. So even though meekness is not exactly equal to humility, I mean humility gives that sense of meekness so that we, we have to not attack but I mean respond humbly. We have to be patient with the people understanding. I think it really sums up what we've been trying to talk about in terms of dealing with echo chambers. I mean, coming out of our echo chambers and then dealing with the external claims, how to respond to them in the fear of the Lord, how to respond to them without um, trying to get into vain arguments. So look, it's just the scripture calls us to make a defense, but in doing so, we should do so humbly. We should do so, um, let's say other versions use respectfully. So how you even speak, how you make a defense of your faith matters. I think recently I was watching a Christian series. It's a Mount Zion movie called The Abattoir. There's a season three. So there's a lady who was um, previously a call girl and she had now become a Christian and she felt that she should speak to the other call girls 
And she was a new believer. So when she went, I mean, her posture was, I've come to help you. I came with something that can help you. And the other call girls were not ready to listen to her. She was like, hey, but you people insulting them up and down and telling them that you have come, I've pitied you. I didn't stay in my room. I've come all the way here. So in her speech, she was sort of looking down on them and telling them that you're even lucky that I'm here, you know. But she could have still spoken to them in different words that would have won others to Christ. But here she was, she even ended up in a fight with them. Hopefully none of us does that, but it shows us the importance of approaching external worldviews with grace, with humility, not knowing that really we are also products of grace. And we are also, I don't want to say we are graced because I cannot say lucky. We are graced to actually be where we are and to know the things that we do. And the scripture also says, be ready to make a difference. So readiness connotes a sense of preparation so um, it's not enough to just be there you should be seeking to know god you should be preparing and developing yourself to actually answer the, the questions that you may face thank you yeah um, like i think we've really touched on almost everything like one thing that is over here is um you as an individual keeping a clear conscience because first of all i think paul paul it got to a time paul was I don't know whether it's that particular instance where Paul was trying to actually defend his apostleship, right? Like, it's, it's, it's just one place that when you find yourself, you can become very depressing. Like, you know, within your heart, like you are doing all for God and all that. But like the people that, I mean, <laughs> to use the Arabic example, as well, the people that you've been sent to help, they know they're even asking who made you a rollover and stuff like that. I mean, along those lines, and it could become depressing. But to keep a clear conscience, it's um, like, I think Paul said that my conscience before Christ, I've actually forgotten how he quoted it, but I think he just meant, um, he knows that all that he's saying before Christ is clear that it's the plain truth and it's just, he's, to Christ, he's just saying the truth and that's very key. So at the end of the day, there's a, there should be that strong conviction within our conscience that we know that after our, if I'm, if, if I'm being challenged that my life is not really what, um, I don't, I'm not my message. Like you should be really clear in your mind towards Christ and you do that assessment as well. So chiefly what Christ thinks about you is one thing that we should really concern ourselves about. I think that's the chief. Then from there, we look at how we try to interact with others. And one thing that Compass said that I just want to reiterate is I feel I feel strongly that the, the peak of our Christian life is when you become your message, like you become your message. Because even the theme for all that we've been discussing is ex- exiting your equity but being in the world, but not of the world. And in that, in I think in John 15, where we get to know that we should let our light so shine before men that they'll give glory to our Father in heaven. So this is how I want to end it. And I think it really sums up all that we've touched almost all the very key areas in some of these things. And we are trusting God that lives are going to be blessed by this. So this will be the end of uh, this phase where we are looking at exiting your echo chamber, being in the world, but not of the world. Amen. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for taking us through weeks of having this conversation and really enriching our lives as well and blessing us every Saturday evening. May lives also be blessed and touched even as they listen to this podcast in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We hope the conversation was an enlightening one. Stick with us and keep listening to us as we delve deeper into the subject of exiting our echo chamber truly learning how to be in the world but not of the world in the subsequent episodes thank you